1: welcome to the wired to hunt podcast home of the modern whitetail hunter and
2: now your host mark kenyon welcome to the wired to hunt podcast i'm your guest host tony peterson and today i'm speaking with the one and only Bo martonic All right, folks, welcome to the Wire to Hunt podcast, brought to you by First Light. You guessed it, this is not Mark Kenyon's voice. It's your old backup quarterback, Tony. Mark is off, I guess you could say, fighting the good fight with his friend, Spencer. They are actually in West Hollywood, but probably not for any of the reasons you're thinking. West Hollywood happens to be where Ticketmaster's headquarters are located. The boys are out there, protesting that company after sitting in a virtual queue for like 15 hours only to not get tickets to Taylor Swift's new tour. I know, it's a shame. I know those guys are big, big fans of hers, and I hope the picketing and their harshly worded signs will do them some good and they get their tickets. And speaking of doing you some good, I have Bo Martonic on this episode to talk about public land hunting in the late season. You know, Bo is a where to hunt contributor, he's a podcast host, and he's a Pennsylvania native who devotes a stupid amount of time to mountain bucks that anyone can theoretically hunt, but very few kill like he does. But whether you're a public land hunter yourself or have something a little more cushy for your late season endeavors, this show is just full of good advice. Martonic is one of the best hunters out there, and it's safe to say if you listen to this all the way through, you'll pick up a thing or two, at least, that you could put to good use on a buzzer-beater buck, no matter where you live or hunt. Bo, how are you, buddy? Good. To
3: talk to you again. Yeah, dude, you're looking skinny.
2: <laughs> not that, not that you weren't skinny before.
3: <laughs> I, yeah, I, uh, I, I just, I actually just got back from the gym because this is my first week back in it, and I am one of those people that. I try every year to stay in the gym and working out during hunting season and it just traveling back and forth and trying to get work done in between wasn't working. And, and, um, yeah, I lost about, I think it was 16 or 17 pounds since, uh, late August when, when I kind of started my, my trips out West and then whitetail hunting. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking a little skinny. (laughs) Yeah. You need to go eat a
2: cheeseburger, man. Uh, uh, this is not what I want to talk you about on this podcast, but we're going to talk about it a little bit. When, when you, yeah, I I know you, uh, you, you've worked out for a long time. Is it like, Is it something for you where you're like, I know I'm going elk hunting every year, so I got to stay in shape for it. Or was it something even before maybe you started traveling to hunt where you're just like, it was sort of a part of your life.
3: It's always been a part of my life. Like that's been something since high school when I was in sports. And then even in college, when I had no real reason to do it, I just like, I like working out. I feel good when I do it. And I just, when I have like a routine of just doing it every day, like it, even just something little, like my My workouts have changed i've went through different i guess different parts of my life where there's parts where i got into real high intensity stuff and like just beating yourself down every day and i realized that wasn't really sustainable and my goal is just like i want to be able to hunt as long as i can in my 60s 70s and i just want to i want to stay you know competent and be as good as i can in the field so that's that's kind of the mentality i've had but definitely elk hunting and stuff gives me a little more motivation when I'm not feeling like it to, to make myself do something, yeah. you know, that's, that's kind of the way that, that I look at it.
2: Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, people use different reasons, right? Like when you, when you talk to, you know, the average person, especially right now, this time of year, where we're coming up on the new year and, you know, everybody makes their new year's resolutions or whatever. It's like, Oh, I want to, I want to lose weight. So I'm going to go to the gym. And I was thinking about that. I was actually talking to my wife about it. And I was like, that's kind of the wrong way to look at it. Like really should be looking at like, I just want to get in shape and feel better, like mentally, physically, yeah. the whole thing. And, you know, there's some awesome side effects of that. Like there's some benefits, right? You, like you will lose weight, but it's like, it's it's easy for people to kind of like pick one reason or another, or one motivation. Like, well, oh, I'm going to, I'm finally going to take that elk trip. So I got to do it. And it's like, man, that, that's great. But if you can find a way to, you know, be like, be in it all year round or like be dedicated to it a little bit more instead of that cuz that elk tag is going to go away or you know you might roll your ankle or something yeah. and you know like things change and it's it's tough to do but it's such a benefit to enjoying hunting i think
3: oh yeah and and just enjoying life like just in general i feel so much better i have more energy when i'm working out consistently i just feel better in general and and the one thing too is like i feel like i build Uh, By being consistent with it and doing it all the time, once you get later in the season and you've been hunting for two months, you know whether it's just weekends or you're hunting all the time, whatever it is, you kind of get wore out, and this kind of helps you continue with it. In my opinion, to be able to help continue just going day after day because you're used to just the consistency and and just need to you know put in the work and and go with it, and I think that the mental side of working out has helped me as much in hunting as the physical side has you know not not all my you know whitetail hunts or spots that i go into are you know a mile or two deep and not all like that like some of them aren't really that physically exerting but at the same time it just helps me you know when i have to get up you know at five in the morning to go do that or four o'clock in the morning that i just I, I can continually do that and you know even sitting in a tree you know back in november trying to sit all day it I, I feel like there's all these extra benefits that come from, from consistently working out. And uh, I, for, to me, I, I think that it, it just, it helps out a ton.
2: Yeah, I do too. I mean, and I, I noticed that es- especially on some of my traveling trips where it's like you'd go, you know, maybe sit, sit a stand for a couple hours, and then you could go back to the you know camp or go back to your tent, take a nap or chill out or whatever, or you could go scout someplace new. And then go sit and just like, as far as being in the moment and being like really efficient with your time, it sure helps.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, it, it, it definitely does. And oh, yeah, just like you said, instead of feeling like you're tired and want to go back and take a nap, yeah, you can be more efficient and drive down the road and check out this other spot and walk around, and you just feel more energized throughout. So that's that's where I see a lot of the benefits. And I think I think I would do better if I did it throughout the season. You know, we were talking a little bit before we started recording and you said you were keeping up with it, you know, a couple of days a week at least. And and I think that's a, I think that's a, a big deal. And I had no reason not to other than, uh, I, I just, I, I, you know, sometimes you can get in your own head that you're busier than you probably are to be able to squeeze up even a 20 or 30 minute workout in really isn't that hard. You just got to be better at time management, I guess.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, the other thing is maybe you just need a case of like crippling depression. So you have to go.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and otherwise,
2: otherwise you'll be absolutely miserable if you don't go
3: work out. Yeah. <laughs> that could definitely be it so I, let's... I think I I think oh, sorry I was just gonna say that I think that like I was struggling so bad of trying to find a deer in October that that's just like all my head was focused on was just running around trying to do that that uh yeah I wasn't thinking about anything else
2: did, did you have an unusual year that way
3: yeah I did yeah I um I struggled I was traveling a little bit at the beginning well through September and beginning of October so when I came back to Pennsylvania I felt like it was my I felt like the woods were all brand new to me and normally I'm kind of keeping up with things and I'm you know running trail cameras and out scouting and seeing what the food sources are and I just I felt like I was just dropped in the middle of somewhere and trying to figure it out and I just wasn't finding sign like I normally was and I had to move around a lot to try to to try to find it and even some of the his, I, I'm big on historical data and a lot of my historical data wasn't lining up with how this year worked so it, it took some kind of freelancing around a little bit, to uh, to be able to figure it out. And where I ended up finally killing a deer at the beginning of November was in a spot that I didn't even have any trail cameras that year, anything. It was just like, uh, a spot that I, you know, knew deer traveling through some hot sign and, and, um, I set up on it for the last evening I had to hunt in Pennsylvania. So that was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a tough year for, for me to be honest. Do you, do you find
2: because I, I know you do a lot of trail camera work do you find yourself because I, I have this struggle I have this struggle struggle on private land and public land but on on public land a lot where I start hunting off of memories and it usually doesn't play out very well for me and I have to go figure out what's going on. Do you, is that what you're talking about a little bit here where you're like, I'm coming 100%. into this, I've been gone. And I, you know, instead of like just buckling down and, you know, going, I don't know what's going on. You kind of like rely on what you knew and it's always freaking changing. And so you, you end up getting forced to go find them anyway.
3: Yeah, no. And I, I've, I've, I've done well with the historical data at times, but it, I've also learned, and I talked to somebody else about this recently, it was like, I definitely crippled myself from the standpoint of I do better hunting areas that I don't have the historical knowledge in sometimes than I do the areas that I do because I'm like, yeah, I don't like, you know, when, when, especially when you are on a bunch of cameras or, you know, you have years of history in there, it's like, okay, this spot's normally good and you start start putting that time in there, but it's like, okay, it's not really happening, you know, where if I go into a new area, I'm looking for the hottest sign. I'm trying to find it mm-hmm. and do it. And it's not saying I won't put three to four sits at some of these spots, like, especially, you know, in the big woods where it's low deer density. But, but when you just go off of like, they should be coming here at some point you, you start chasing, you know, you're not, not doing as well as, uh, as you could be, or at least that's the way I feel about it.
2: Yeah. I, I, that really hit home for me. I had I had two times in my life when, when we had the girls and I kind of went from having tons and tons of free time to like really planning short three, four, five day trips. It made me realize how kind of behind the curve I was, even if I had to take five or six days off of, or I was going to travel someplace this weekend and next weekend, that time between changed things a lot. And then it, it kind of, it made me realize at, at at what disadvantage you really are if you're a weekend warrior whether you're at home or traveling it's like that that space between when you're there is really important and you know trail cameras can fill in the gaps a little bit but there's a lot you're going to miss and yeah. the other time for me you know you talk about the big woods I hit on a spot in northern Wisconsin I don't know 6 7 years ago now that was pretty damn good for you know, like decent bucks for that area. And it was kind of this Creek bottom system that just, it was right. And I hit it a couple of years and killed a few deer and had some good encounters with some really big deer. And then I don't know, probably three years ago, four years ago, it just went dry in there. Like just, and you know, when it's a big woods thing and you're like, why, like, you know, why would this change that much? Cause it's not like egg rotation or anything like that. And I just started, you know, through winter scouting, started finding, okay, well, somebody brought in a ladder stand here and somebody had a stand across the creek here. And it was just pressure, just guys coming in. And that, that place has never been the same since. And it, it's one of those spots where I'm like, I want this to be on. Cause it was so fun going in there, knowing the deer were using it, but it's just, it's, it's a freaking memory now.
3: Yeah. And and, and that's, that's, I mean, that. that is spot on for kind of how this year went for me is this spot had been so good the last couple years this one area and i was hunting one deer and i always like target one deer if i if i'm in an area i'm running trail cameras but i'll shoot other deer like i'm not a all or nothing guy with it but it was kind of that way in this area this year because all the other bucks that there used to be multiple like great bucks that shoot and this year there there was one and I couldn't find him, and he ended up getting uh, shot in gun season. So now I don't have to worry about him anymore, thankfully. Uh, but, well, hold on, but, though. But what do you think happened there with that buck concentration? It was people. There wow. was there was pressure, and not the exact spots I was hunting, but people moved in, and also there was there was no food. I mean, there was browse. Don't get me wrong, but there was no mass from. You know, years prior, I looked at there is some oak trees in there, and those oak trees had produced on year one, which was incredible because it was the only oaks in the area. And you know, year two they didn't produce, but there was a good black cherry crop and beech crop. This year, none of those, none of those things happened, and so I think there was a little bit of the food that was that was uh, causing that, and then also the pressure because there was just there was people everywhere i was getting trail cameras messed with i was having just problems that i hadn't had in the past so i mean really at that point i should have just kind of moved on right when that was the the case but i was really stubborn on wanting to hunt this deer and and uh and i just i never never really figured it out he did end up showing up on one of my cameras in uh daylight when i was down in west virginia i'd already filled my tag at this point the last day of the season uh he shows up at like 8 a.m he's looking right at my camera and just walked by and then uh i ended up he, he stuck around all through until rifle season and then uh someone ended up shooting him on the second second day there but uh yeah so that that was kind of uh, that was kind of a, a learning cor- curve for me and i i ended up just like once i realized i wasn't finding him and i was kind of wasting time uh per se on it i just started moving around and covering ground and then that's when it ended up working out for me and and you know obviously there's always a little bit of a luck involved and uh And with the weather being so hot it was 72 degrees when i shot my deer and i was like okay i need to go in some dark timber and some creek bottoms and that was it felt 10 15 degrees cooler down there and i don't i don't typically uh i don't typically like let the weather determine completely how i'm gonna to move unless it's like sustained weather you know if it's like one day of seventy-some degrees that's not typically, from, from my experience, going to shift that deer movement to the point that oh they're going to the bottoms so or they're doing going to the north slopes. Like that's not typically what I've seen. But once you start getting you know five, six days, or even three to six days of that kind of weather, then it starts seemingly affecting the the daylight movement down in those bottoms. So that's uh that's kind of what I had to do. Yeah,
2: when you when you talk about uh, kind of riding out that spot that had had some mast for you, and then didn't have mast for you, and people moved in there. I, I honestly think that that might be the number one hang up that that most hunters have as far as their own success, because we fall in love with the idea of a hunt happening where we want it to happen. And man, it that is a great way to kick yourself in the nuts because it's so rarely happening. I mean, if you if you just look at like where most of the hunting content is produced and you look at, I mean, I guess maybe not today, but 10 years ago where the hunting content was produced, it's places that are so tightly controlled that, you know, those deer are coming into that food plot every Halloween or whatever, and nobody's touched them. And that hunt can happen this year, just like it happened last year and the year before. And, you know, the bucks change, but the the situation really doesn't. And, you know, for most people, that's really not an option, even if they're trying to work on private land to make that happen. Like it's a kind of a different deal for, for most people. And that idea of just like, well, I want it to happen this way. You know, I want it to be November 3rd on my favorite stand. And it's like, God, you know, that's such a trap.
3: Yeah. Oh, it, it definitely is. And, and I fall into it from time to time, as much as I know that, like have experienced that and understand it, it's still hard to get your own personal, like if you were to ask me, if you were, if you laid out the situation I had, I feel like I could give you decent advice, but when it's myself, that's where I struggle.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a hard thing, man. I mean, I think, I think that's why, you know, people such as yourself and, you know, other guys who travel a lot and hunt public land a lot, get really good at this stuff, no matter where they go, because you're just forced to face that reality all the time. Like you can't, you know what it's like to feel like you're wasting your time. And when you're really on a limited schedule and you know, your income de- like depends on it. It's like, you can't, you can't, aff- you literally can't afford to make a bunch of dumb, lazy decisions.
3: Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good, good way of putting it. So are
2: you, are you working on a, uh, you, you have any buck tags left now?
3: I do have a buck tag left in West Virginia. I don't know if I'm going to, I actually, I don't think I'm going to make it back down there. I'm I'm focusing on late season uh, doe tags in Pennsylvania though. I'm going to take my flintlock out. That's my goal to shoot one with a flintlock muzzleloader. So I'm kind of focusing on that, but I'm also playing, I'm hunting as if I'm hunting bucks and I'm even moving cameras around so that, you know, when I am in this position, cause ultimately I will be in a position where I have a buck tag in my home state here at some point in the late season that, uh, I, I want to be able to kind of figure it out a little bit and, or at least have more information with it and I do that every year to try to try to learn and, and understand these deer a little bit better. But so personally, no, I don't really have any more, uh, buck tags that I'm going to be hunting as of right now. How about yourself?
2: Um, I'm I'm kind of out of buck tags. I have one left in South Dakota, but I'm gonna I'm gonna stay home and hunt pheasants. But I I was just curious because I I kind of do the same thing. I I don't need a buck tag to keep hunting (laughs) this time, and I and I still have some doe tags left. And I want to ask you about that. I I just wrapped up a muzzleloader season a little bit ago in Minnesota. Um, not the same muzzleloader season that you guys have though. What's what's your range on that flintlock?
3: Uh, hundred yards at most. Um. I mean, people can shoot them further. That's what I feel like is my effective range. Um, but I'd like, I'm looking for a 50 to 60 yard yeah. shot is what my goal is with it. Do, so, do, yeah. When
2: you're carrying that though, do you look at it? I mean, because I, I know in, where I or hunt now, we can use scopes. It's kind of changed the whole thing. But I grew up, you know, I had years where it was just open sight. So it was, to me, it was like, you're you are talking a 100 yard max weapon. And I was always looking for that, like, kind of double my bow range shot you know so if it's yeah. like if I want to kill a deer at like 20 30 with my bow I'm like 50 60 is awesome with open sights so do you do you treat your hunts uh, uh like that where you're like this is basically like a bow hunt but I got a little more reach to work with
3: that's exactly how I look at it and I, I almost set up just like I'm that I would be bow hunting and like during the late season it's late archery in Pennsylvania and the traditional uh flintlock <coughs> So I'll use both of those as I, as I kind of go throughout the season, depending on wh- how, what my setup looks like and how I want to hunt. Um, in the past I've usually used archery equipment cause I felt like it was easier than using the flintlock. I've, um, I've struggled trying to, to do well with that flintlock muzzleloader, but now I'm really just trying to focus on it. But yeah, well, my how, setups how, how did you struggle with it? What do you mean? As far as missing deer, because you have that it's <laughs> with the flintlock. Once you, once that hammer drops and hits that powder ignites it, it's not the same time it's going to go off every time. And maybe there's, there's probably better ones out there than I have that do fire the same every time, but it's just, you know, if it's wet or sometimes it doesn't go off and, you know, it's easy to flinch and it's always been like a clean miss or perfect shot. And that's kind of how, how that has been with it, and uh, you, so, that's, so that's how I struggle.
2: For, so let's let's take those the clean miss versus the perfect shot. Was it like? Do you remember the difference being tied to the the delay in the fire?
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, it, and that's where I've been practicing as far as trying to. Understand that you just gotta you gotta hold hold even when you got this flash of flame in in your eyes, which is hard to just continue holding because sometimes you have that flash and then it'll still take a little bit before it goes off. And uh, yeah, that's it's the people that do the the flintlock stuff is I mean I have a lot of respect for them that that do it every year and I I think it's pretty cool um to do that but i i'm going to i'm going to have two different strategies for that late season one is if we get a lot of snow do some tracking um and then other than that kind of stand sitting uh like like i would if i was you know using a bow at that time of year so those are the kind of like the two different approaches to it
2: are you are you hunting those does in the same place as you're hunting these bucks in the mountains there in pa yeah yeah what, what so this is, this is something we struggle with all the time. Cause when you talk about late season advice, it always defaults to the food sources, right? You know, get on the cut corn, get on the brassicas, whatever. But there's so many situations out there with people who are like, I don't have, you know, I'm, I'm hunting public land. I don't have a yeah. brassica food plot. Right. So what are, what are your deer? you like, you're, you're going to go out there with that primitive weapon. You're going to hunt these places. You scout a lot for bucks. What are those does going to be keying on?
3: So it's a lot of woody browse. So, you know, especially if there's, if there's leftover acorns, that'll be a, that's definitely a hot, a hot ticket item. But if there's not, it's a lot of woody browse. So in a lot of clear cuts, um, really targeting the younger cuts, even some that are freshly being logged, you know, even if there's skitters still in there, those deer will come out before dark and start working the edges. And then as those people go home for the night, they work their way into the rest of the cut and, and eating the tops. Um, so a lot of those brows. If the weather's really bad and it's hard for them even to even dig up even black cherry seeds, those are things. But as that gets bad, they'll even feed on you know hemlock and pine branches and and mountain laurel, uh, the the twigs and stuff. Like it's just it's a lot of that browse. But also a, an area that doesn't have a lot of cuts, or actually even in combination of cuts, is where you can find grasses. Um, so there's a lot of natural grasses that don't have to be you know necessarily food plots that will be able to do that. A lot of our creek bottom systems have openings with grasses in it. And, uh, that, that tends to be, you know, a little bit wetter areas. It doesn't freeze as quick. So as you start getting into January and stuff, those areas can be good. And I've really learned that from shed hunting where, you know, that, that where the places that I'm finding sheds on some of those bad weather years, uh, I tend to find the bucks in the in the late season as well but um so those are kind of the areas i'm focusing on but like the my if i could put an ideal situation out there for you it would be kind of a um anywhere from a two to five year old clear cut that's got some briars coming up you know that that has like a lot of that browse that's readily available they're probably laying down almost in the same spots that they're going to get up um, but you're just trying to be just off it kind of on those edit edges and being able to get them as they come by feeding or even in the center where you get like a log landing that has a bunch of grasses from where they used to have a log landing. And, and then also a bunch of browse around those areas are places that, that I've learned from a lot of it too. You, in addition to shed hunting was just tracking deer in the late season, even when I didn't have a tack, just kind of following tracks and seeing what they're doing. Yep and uh I, i've learned a lot about that
2: yeah i think you get a r- real crash course on how deer actually feed when you watch them browse like through clear cuts and when you do the big woods thing and you see just especially this time of year th- how important those soft edges are like you just like a mm-hmm. little bit of change in habitat it's it's so important to them and it's so easy to overlook if you have destination food sources that are like really reliable. But man, they, they teach you a lot when you watch them mill through those clear cuts.
3: Well, I, I learned, I mean, just even this week. So our gun season ended on Saturday and then that was coincided with some cold weather and some snow that we got the Sunday right after it ended. Thankfully, I didn't have a buck tag, so I was glad that we had a pretty terrible rifle season weather-wise. <laughs> But anyways, I, so I don't have many spots that I can run like cell cameras just because uh, the, the signal for the most part. But I do have a couple cell cameras out and I have them on like a hemlock. So like a conifer edge right where it goes into a cut that had been cut two years ago. And the last two days has been crazy with the amount of deer movement. And this is, you know, in a lower deer density area. But it seems like all these deer, there's, I've had more movement on my cameras the last few days. Than I did, because um, it's actually a good rut spot too. But even more than I did during the rut, um, some younger bucks moving in, bunch of does hanging out around that area, basically coming up into that cut to feed. Um, and they they've a lot of a lot of clear cuts now. And this I learned this from my forestry buddy, but they'll leave the tops down because the and I I was I almost thought they're just being lazy. But what I learned was it's to help keep the deer out of the center so they can regrow the trees so they'll keep them kind of you know laying down and make it kind of nasty in there but that does provide good bedding on the edges of it and they'll feed the edges of those instead of going in the center of all these blow or tops they're going to feed on those edges and that was something that i've that i've learned and it really clicked when he told me the reason for doing that and what the intention of it was and that's kind of how the deer are are using it and uh so those are those are things i really look at
1: now a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating you know some organ the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill i had that when i was a little kid and it was a big deal Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often as the case, those guys were onto something. For all things auto, do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater.
0: We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more.
2: You mentioned something earlier that I wanted to touch on. When you said if there were acorns left you know, that's, that's a big draw. Do you guys out there? Cause we get this big time. It's one of my favorite late season things. If I, if I have the opportunity where if you got a mix of white and red oaks and you know, they're clean up those white oaks in October, whenever they're fallen. Yeah. And then they'll kind of, if they have enough good food and I've even seen this up in Northern Wisconsin and some, or central, I should say, where it's kind of big woods-ish where they, they won't target those red oak acorns nearly as much until it gets to like December and we get a foot of snow on the ground and then the turkeys and the deer and everybody's like, well, I guess we better get back to those. Is that what you're talking
3: about? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And, and also like, so chestnut oak. So I in October, it'd be hard pressed to find a deer to even pick up a chestnut oak acorn, you know. They just don't like it. And and as as my buddy Kenny, the for, my forestry buddy, he calls him the 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 sheets hot dog of the deer wood. So if you're if you're from eastern, you know, the eastern United States, the sheets gas stations that are going up, it's like, okay, you'd prefer the flame, which is the white oak. But the sheets hot dog is kind of your last resort. like you got you gotta eat, okay, I'm gonna stop in here real quick. I'm gonna hit the touch screen. I'm gonna order it. I'm gonna have my hot dog in in a short amount of time. and that's kind of the way looking at chestnut Oaks, which there seemed to be a good um, crop of those even in West Virginia where I was at and and in Pennsylvania versus even the the Reds this year. So that was uh that's interesting. but this this is a time of year when they might start hitting that versus, um, you know, earlier when they have better food available, they're gonna, they're gonna pick that, you know, yeah.
2: do you, do you feel, cause I, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to look at this stuff. Like what, what are the positives that we have going on? Cause we, we always focus on the negatives, right? Oh, the, you know, like you, it's too hot or it's too windy or the full moon or whatever bullshit, or there's too many people out. And, you know, when you look at late season hunting, I, I don't, maybe you disagree, but I think it's the hardest hunting of the season, just generally, like, I've never had like really like awesome late season. It's always been a kind of a grind. I've had good hunts, but it's it's work. So I, you know, like looking at that, I go, okay, what's the benefit? And I know for me, I don't have a whole lot of competition out there. It feels like a part of the season where you can sort of just work the deer and and not think about constantly like who's coming in to hunt this spot or how many people are going to be out there on the weekends and i feel like you get a pretty decent advantage that way over the rest of the season if you're a public land hunter and i think maybe that doesn't get a whole lot of credit
3: yeah yeah you know, you're you're spot on and there's there's a couple things i look at with that and is as an advantage because you, like you said there are a bunch of disadvantages that we don't need to to harp on it's hard it's hard hunting late season the weather just deer being pressured but as you get later on, they start acting like deer again. It's, it, they start acting like deer are supposed to, and they're not, you know, they might even come out and feed on those acorns, um, an hour and a half, two hours before it gets dark rather than barely coming out of that cover at the last minute, if at all, you know, and, and uh, when there's more pressure, but, you know, even in a heavily hunted state like Pennsylvania, I don't see too many people out other than maybe, Uh, the occasional guy walking around with a, with a muzzle loader, Uh, there's not a whole lot of pressure. So you can find, you can get away from people a lot easier in my opinion. Uh, And if you're willing to grind it out through the weather and everything else that's kind of dealing with it, there's a lot of opportunities not to mention that, you know, there's not any vegetation on the trees. Now the bedding cover, even in areas that are all look like bedding cover are narrowed down and you know and, the, and if you if you're getting in some nasty weather say you're getting you know temperatures 10 15 degrees depending on where you're at like that's now they're gonna they want to be closer to that food so you find some cover that's close to that food to probably bedding in that area and you might even be able to set up a little bit more of an open spot um, with you know just some briars around or whatever that's you know right there available uh, and not not overthink it like you, like you have to in times of the year when there's there's more pressure. Yeah,
2: and that's a good point. And there, there's something else too. I mean, it, it, maybe it's a little bit different out where you live, but I know that a lot of the places I hunt, some of the best geothermal cover you're gonna find in an entire county is gonna all be public land. Like if you take some of this ag heavy stuff, you know, like some of the stuff that I hunted for one week in November in Minnesota here, you know it's it's flat prairie egg everywhere type of stuff and if it can be farmed it's going to be farmed and it's going to be private and if it can't be farmed it might be public and so all of the you know willow creek bottoms and freaking cattail sloughs and these little bands of timber that are just like in these places that they can't run a plow through those you know you might look at them and go well yeah there's people pheasant hunting in there all the time or deer hunting there all gun season well now when most people are kind of out of the woods those places offer those deer the best cover so they might have been riding it out in a private fence line or a little homestead or something for much of the season or a, a CRP field and now they need real geothermal cover and in so many different places the best cover available to them will be public
3: yeah and 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 i've also i've al- always thought that you needed like the the really thick you know, geothermal cover, basically that to, to hold those deer, to keep the wind block. But what I've learned is even mature hemlock and pine forest that may cover a side hill or a creek bottom or whatever it is, it offers such a blanket over the top. You know, I've noticed it by just dropping milkweed. So like in... And earlier in the season, I like those spots because it's very dependent that if I drop my, if I drop my milkweed, it's going to run downhill. No matter even what time of day it is, because it blocks out the sun as much and keeps it cool. But as you get in the late season, it actually does the opposite and you start seeing it coming up, which means it's a little warmer in there. You might not, you as a person might not be able to feel it as much, but that's offering that windbreak. That's offering a little bit of warmth extra for those deer. So anything with, with that with having uh like the conifers and having that thermal cover uh that's you know you butt that up against food and when i say food as far as like good browse or whatever man like those are those are the spots that i'm that that get me excited when it comes to the late season yeah
2: i don't i think that we are really disconnected from like an awareness of those spots out there because i notice like we you know we do so much late season pheasant hunting and We jump deer all the time doing it, right? Like all the freaking time. And it's almost always like, you know, the wind's blowing 30 miles an hour, 25 miles an hour. And so you're like, okay, the pheasants are probably going to stack up here or there or whatever. And, you know, you get out, it's brutal, brutal cold. And you get into some of these spots where you jump a, a good buck right next to you. And it's almost always one of those places where you didn't even notice it, but you got in there and it was way calmer. And you immediately felt way warmer and there was like all these little advantages to those spots that if you were just standing there looking at this land or especially if you're scrolling over it looking at aerial photography, like you wouldn't probably get this because it's, you know, it's like too situationally variable, right? Like you're not, it's not zero degrees when you're looking at it. You're not standing out there in 20, 25 mile per hour winds, but you get into them and you go, this is, this makes so much sense why he was here. And I think that stuff's so valuable.
3: Oh, yeah, it, it it is so valuable. And it's, it's, for example, like, uh, Ohio is one of those states that runs a very late season that, you know, goes from, you know, all, it runs all the way until February, I believe. And I, I remember years ago, I was working in Ohio and I just uses, I'm like, I'm just going to hunt late season. I've hunted Ohio during the rut a lot, which is super busy on, on public land anymore. And that late season, I didn't run into a single person. And I was, not using my normal rules of thumb of trying to stay away from city areas, you know, population. It was in a very populated area. I didn't run into anybody that was out there. And, you know, places like that that have still have, they have big deer every year, but they have a lot of hunting pressure, it makes it a little bit difficult during some of the prime times. But you can take advantage of that later on. Or if you say you did go on that rut trip and you didn't fill your tag, you can go back and, and in late season and you know, with, with some leg work and getting around, and especially if you have snow, that's going to tell you right now kind of where they're spending their time. And, uh, I, I think there's, there's a, there's a big advantage to that. And I, I do a lot of, um, the week after Christmas here, we have a uh, snowshoe hare hunting and I I like, I, I love going out doing that. It's just fun to me. And a lot of places they live in are some of those cuts and I'm always just blowing deer out. And, uh, and that, that's, that taught me a lot kind of with, with where they were living at at that time,
2: man, I'll tell you what, if you want to become a good big woods hunter, you go out and sneak around and try to shoot snowshoe hares. <laughs> so fun.
3: I mean, oh, yeah.
2: not, not only for just training your eye. I mean, you sometimes you get those days where they're out sunning, you know, cause they don't, they don't go underground like a cottontail will, like they're, they're a different thing. And you get those times where they're out like sunning in the afternoon and you see them sitting on the edge of a. You know the edge of the conifers or something, but it's always like an edge. Like they're always in those places where it's like the clear cut met the the evergreens or whatever, and the deer are always
3: there too. Yep, that's yeah. you and and it's not to get off topic with it, but they're fun to hunt because they just do big circles. Yeah, they always <laughs> they just do dude. They're circles. just fun to
2: hunt because hunting any kind of rabbit is is fun.
3: Yeah, and i would never done it. So I and I'd love to do it with dogs sometimes. So I just I'm I'm basically the dog and the hunter at the same time as I'm going and doing it. But it's it's fun to to watch them. And you're right, they they live in those same places. A lot of the edges of, of the hemlocks and the the clear cuts, You know, speaking specifically in Pennsylvania, and they just you know, kind of go around and 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 uh, do big loops there. But I've learned so much about deer, and I also use it to scout new places for deer uh and and i've found some of my best deer hunting spots by hunting uh snowshoe hares so
2: man i think you know maybe this is a topic for a different one but maybe it is actually a good late season topic is when you go try to run rabbits or hares or you do some squirrel hunting or we used to do a lot of grouse hunting in january when or when wisconsin kept their season open through january the amount of antlers you find and the amount of stuff you run across and the rub lines that are laid bare, it is such a valuable time to be out there. And I think that, you know, we we preach a big game about winter scouting, right? But I, I think a lot of people don't really buy into it. Like they don't either, you know, like it just gets to be that time of year. They Maybe they like the idea, but I don't think a lot of people are out there like really winter scouting. But if you can find an excuse to be out there, that's a hell of a lot of fun, like chasing snowshoe hares, do it. It'll help yeah. everything.
3: Yeah. At that point you know, it, <laughs> I, you know, sometimes I get tired of sitting in the tree, you know, and when you can go around and, and do something that's different than deer hunting and, and, uh, walk around. I mean, my favorite thing to do is scouting. So like, as you're combining a couple of those different things, it's, uh, it's a, it's a lot of fun. And, and you in honestly with, you know, even if you are hunting deer in that late season, a lot of, a lot of times you're going to be, or at least I spend a lot of time walking versus the actual sitting. Cause I'm trying to find where those deer are hanging out at, you know, I'm not putting all day sits in or anything. It's not, they're not moving it, it all day, maybe a little bit within their bedroom there, but it's, it's hard to get close without any cover without any leaves or anything on, on the trees at that time of year. So I, I think that's a it's super valuable you and I talk about it all the time, but that that winter that winter scouting is is critical uh to being able to to help you out and you know and as we just talked about earlier we' struggling based off that historical data that you find but th- th- to put it this way is like that gives you a really good starting point and places to be able to check and see if it's hot you yeah. know that's that's how I look at it.
2: Yeah, for sure, and I mean having those spots that are sort of historically good, figuring those out from year to year helps you. And you know, if one of them goes cold because a bunch of people move in or something, finding another one gets a little easier if you've already found one in your life. You know, yeah. But I think I want to talk about the, the the small game thing and the winter scouting thing a little bit more because I think when you know when we talk about this stuff, a lot of times we paint this picture of like okay, you're winter scouting, you're, you're going out, you're looking for giant beds in the swamp, you're looking for rubs, you know, if there's no snow, you're looking for scrapes, whatever, last year's sign. But we are like super predictable. Like humans, how we enter the woods and where we walk and how we like to walk through the woods, we're super predictable. And when you go with a different purpose in mind, if you're like, I'm going to go find some snowshoe hares and I'm not out here just to scout deer, you're going to go where you think those snowshoe hares are going to be. And it'd probably take you into different little spots than a pure scouting mission would. And I think I think some of that stuff is maybe like the under, most underrated aspect of becoming better at figuring out deer.
3: Yeah, no, And and no matter how much you do it or how long you've done it, you do get predictable. I mean, I get predictable, especially in spots that I I feel like I know from hunting it for so long. You start you park at the same places, you walk the same way in, or you might be like, "Oh, I have a destination to get to" before you start scouting. But once you once you're you know doing something different, like when I'm hunting snowshoes, I'm basically hunting them from the time I'm off the road, especially if there's you know cuts right there or whatever. And it might be a spot that I'm like, "Ah, oh, there's." gonna be people there for you know deer season and i overlook in my own head but then you figure out like oh this is actually everybody's overlooking it and you bump some deer you find some sign in there and whether you you actually throw a hunt at it or you just set up a trail camera and learn like there's there's so much value in in that and and that's that's why i mean even when i'm not small game hunting when i'm you know shed hunting or winter scouting or whatever and just walking whatever you learn you learn a ton because you know, when I'm when I'm actively hunting a lot of the times, you know, you're, you're thinking about the wind. You don't want to be blowing deer out. You don't want, you know, there's a lot of things that you do where when you're not hunting, you don't think about those things and you can find some pretty cool spots.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think there is, I, I think maybe the biggest benefit of winter scouting is just simply because you're not that concerned with what happens, you know, like yeah. you're just, you can go scorched earth a little bit and, and look at some stuff. But I also think, you know, like I, I know like not a lot of people are going to listen to this and go snowshoe hare hunting to get better at deer hunting. But I'll tell you, we had, my buddies and I had some years where we hit them hard. Like we, we would, you know, it, and obviously it was tied to some grouse hunting and some cottontails, whatever we but, but the snowshoe thing was always kind of a novelty to us. Cause we never grew up with that. And I'll never forget some of the. Some of the public land spots I bow hunt, you know, they got they have snowshoe hairs in them. So we'd go in there and, you know, you, you picture like a, a older growth conifers. Like you've got a bunch of pine trees that maybe were planted or whatever. And then you've got that clear cut next to it. And you think about like a two-year-old clear cut. And you're like, you're not going to walk through there. You're going to walk the edge and the snowshoes are going to be somewhere. You know, the hairs are going to be somewhere there. But then you get like that five-year-old clear cut or six, seven-year-old clear cut that's like, starting to get some trees in it and some space. And, you know, so you put a, you put somebody on the edge of the, the pines in that clear cut, and then you cut in 50 yards into that clear cut, where you might not have gone in there if you were just walking through there because it's a hell of a lot easier to stay in those pine trees. And now you're looking at a different forest. Like you're looking at something that's security cover everywhere and browse everywhere and bedding cover, and you go, there's a different vibe to this than even that edge. And then definitely than that open pine tree, you know, desert that's like a hundred yards away from me. And that kind of stuff is like, it's not even like an intentional way to get out of your comfort zone. It's just doing something else and then going where the deer have already figured out they want to be. And you can learn so much.
3: Yeah. I mean, think about when you walk the edge of like a cut, like you're talking about with the conifers on one side and you look in, you kind of just see a wall of trees, you know, you just, even if it's not, even if it's starting to get some space, but once you get in there and you look you can kind of picture how, you know, you might find a bed in there and you're like, Holy cow, he can lay here. I can't see him from the outside, but he's watching me walk that edge. Even like just flipping your roles as far as that, that point of view can change, can change things a lot. And you know, like when I, I feel like, like, you know, we talk about, you know, bucks, like liking edges and betting on those edges, but sometimes that doesn't mean right on that edge too. It can be in a little bit, but where they can see that that edge out there in front of them and that's what that what i've found in and and also you know talk to a, a bunch of people um you know growing up hunting these types of areas they all oh, those big bucks live in those those big those big thickets you know they live in those thickets well they might not be in that direct center of it they might just be in a little bit and you find that by being able when you're hunting hares or whatever else by doing it and, and i spend time in the winter i'll walk every not literally every square inch, but you know, every 40, 50 yards through those cuts and kind of go back and forth and learn how they're using them because not, not every cut or every or every thicket is treated the same from the deer. And there might be something that you're not picking up on from an aerial photograph that you have to get in there and see it.
2: Yeah. I think, I think some of the hardest ground to really scout with aerial is that big woods stuff where you're dealing with clear cuts. Cause it's, it looks like such mono habitat, you know, so often from satellite imagery. And then you get in there and you realize how much is going on. And then, you know, like you're talking about, you know, it's like I I always picture those spots, like there's an access, you know, if you have that older growth forest and then you have the clear cuts, like you're already talking about like two layers from the easy access and it might be a situation where they're only 200 yards from where everybody parks, but it doesn't matter because they're, they're back in that security cover and they know it. And we always kind of get it in our head that, you know, oh, the public land got hunted so hard by the gun hunters and it's going to be all blown out. And they're all going to be on the private place down the road that only hunts trophies or whatever. And then you go out right now and you see all the sign that's out there and you find those beds and you jump those deer and you go, no, no, no. They rode this out right here where they got hunted hard every single day and they just figured out how to make it through and it might be as simple as being the first layer into that clear cut
3: well it, i learned it this year um during gun season i had some buddies up hunting with me and and i was putting on some couple man like bump drives going through some of these areas and we'll, you know not finding deer it was it was difficult I'm like man they're you know normally here but what would i you know I was like, all right, let me just do like, I'd see like a little group of blowdowns. It might only be 60 yards from me, but I'm going to do another little sweep through there and see. And all of a sudden you jump a doe up or you might jump a a small buck or whatever it is. And they're so used to that pressure that they'll just lay down and they're not, they're just not moving unless you're almost stepping on them literally. And you have to be super close because. You know, when it comes to gun season and you go in there and you start hearing the shots and and there's all this stuff going on, you're like, how do these deer make it? But every year I'm getting deer, you know, getting a little older, you know, he's five years old, he's six years old, he's seven years old. I'm like, this area is hunted hard. Is he, he's not, you know, he's not going to another County during this time. He's finding some good, good places to hide. And it's trying to figure out where those little places to hide. And sometimes it's not, not even what you, what you think there is. I remember finding a shed uh, off a of buck I was hunting years ago. It, I found it Christmas Eve, so it was, he dropped early. And, but where it was laying in a bed, and this bed was on, it was kind of a swampy big woods area, pretty flat. And there was one little tiny group of trees, like a triple cherry tree. And it was all kind of open swampiness around there. And there was a uh, blown down log that was there. And he was laying right up against it. And he could watch this access trail that went by and it was a spot that I never thought of. I didn't even think it was enough cover to hold a deer there. And I wouldn't doubt that he didn't lay there a lot of times. When you walked out to the trail, you couldn't see where he was laying at, but you got to where his bed was and looked out. It's like, okay, he had, he had an advantage here. And that, that taught me a lot.
2: I mean, think about, think about, I mean, it doesn't happen very often, but think about the times when you've been on a stand and watched a deer walk in that bedded down. And you're like, that deer's, 47 yards away from me right there. And if you look away and you look back, you're like, oh, it's gone. And then the ear flicks and you go, oh, it's, yeah. it never moved. I mean, and that's a deer that you have every advantage over possible because you watched it walk in there. And then now you think about the average person walking through the woods and there's a deer that's bedded in a blowdown like that with every advantage in the world. Yeah. Like they're, they're so safe from most people. It's not even funny.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and, and as you're walking, think about as you're walking, you're looking, you look at something for a short period of time. It's, you know, even if you're pretty good at still hunting and walking through, you're not, you're not staring at a spot for three minutes. You know, you're, you're kind of glazing over things as you go, unless you catch that ear flicker at that time, or you catch that antler at that time. There there's a lot of times that, you know, even the most seasoned people walk past, deer that don't even see and and when they're used to that pressure they're Mm that they know how to how to handle it especially if they get to to an older age like they're not they're not dumb about it just because there's a ton of pressure doesn't mean that they're all dead like they 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 figure it out
2: yeah well let me let me ask you this because that kind of reminds me of something i wanted to bring up um you you know you're hunting for years and years and years pennsylvania was like sort of the gold standard for pressure right i mean I'm, i'm sure it still is And, you know, you hear so much. So many people say, like, where I hunt, none of the bucks get past two and a half. They get killed off. And I've heard that place, so many places I've hunted, so many places I've lived. And I've never found it to be true anywhere. Like, I've literally, I'm like there's bucks out there in the most heavily hunted place that are big enough for anyone to be pretty happy with it's just there's not that many of them and they're awful good at let like not letting you know they're there
3: yeah oh yeah uh, yeah hundred percent and it's it's funny you know with in Pennsylvania you know I I run a lot of cameras so I got I run in pa alone 35 to 40 cameras maybe even uh uh, more than that i can't i don't even know exactly what my inventory looks like but i run a lot of cameras and i bet on any given year i get you know bucks that are five plus you know years old i bet there's eight or ten of them that i can find sometimes more sometimes a little bit less but on some areas that are really heavily haunted like not I would say like our rifle season our gun season isn't as pressured as it used to be when i was a kid um though there used to be a there used to be a lot more deer and uh not any there wasn't really any big deer then it was just higher populations of deer and not as many and they just they they'd get kind of wiped out but as you as the deer density dropped down um it did reduce pressure a little bit but still you'll go into a spot um, where there's people everywhere, but they're still, you'll still find these deer in this place. Like the one area I'm thinking of, um, that I mentioned earlier with that buck laying there, like this is a very flat, easy access type spot with roads everywhere. And there's always people in there in gun season, but I find the biggest, oldest deer there every year. And it's just, it, it, it even boggles my mind like that, even though I I've seen it before, like it just, it boggles my mind how they do that and they do. And and I think it's just trying to to figure out what your area looks like. You know, I can't give a specific situation that's going to be exactly relatable to somebody in Michigan or, or somebody in Wisconsin. But if you use, you kind of look at that mindset or you think about it from the standpoint of, all right, how how are they living? What are they doing? How are they working through this? And try to figure out what that looks like in your area. I think it's I think you can be surprised on what you find.
2: Well, I think it's just the more time you spend out there. And, you know, if you have the chance to run cameras, like you're talking about, or do a lot of shed hunting, you just figure out that there's, there's a lot more going on out there than people give it credit for. It's like easy. It's really easy to be dismissive about, you know, like big bucks in an area or overall deer population or anything like that. And it's like, man, in, in so many situations you have more to work with than you think it's just not going to be easy.
3: Yeah. 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 There's, there's no easy part about that. And like, I can check out, you know, I can, especially, you know, winter and spring, the the amount of miles I put on in the woods are crazy. And there's a lot of things that just aren't good. Like I'm not always just all of a sudden going in every area and finding the best of the best, but you you just got to keep doing it. It's like what, what When I had um, these guys hunt with me the other day, it's like, you know, it was two days of like not seeing any deer. And it's like, you know, they kind of see them looking at me like, oh, is there any deer around here? It's like, it's just repetition. It's yeah. just like, you know, even though that was different with uh, the way we were gun hunting, but it's the same way with scouting. It's just continually just moving and checking different places and trying to trying to figure it out. And, you know, there's, and maybe there's some places that are good that I'm just not recognizing it. But it, the more time you spend out there, obviously you're going to find more and it's, it's sounds super simple and it kind of is, but it takes a lot of work to, to, to be able to figure that out. And that's where I've always struggled on the late season side of not being able, whether it was time or whatever, to put that in, to be able to find them. But I think, and the way I look at late season now is spending more time scouting than that actual hunting, which really that kind of coincides with most times of the year but like spending more time scouting and finding where the deer are before you uh before you set up essentially
2: yeah and i I think that what you're talking about there a little bit with the the late season hunting i mean one of the lessons that's real important there is you know these deer that you're hunting here now these does you're going to go try to shoot with that flintlock they maybe weren't there for a couple weeks during rifle season. I mean, they maybe went and hold up a little bit someplace else, or they, they might be concentrated in a spot now because of some food source or something. And it's like, that's another thing that with the whitetail world that we have trouble with is we, we assume like a constant presence. Like, well, the deer have a home range of this, so they, they're going to be here. And it's like, well, if you're hunting 40 acres or 80 acres or something, it's like, they, it's nothing for them not to be where you're hunting you know, or if you have one part of this big chunk of public that you really like, that concentration might only be there a week, a year. And it might be because of those red oaks in the late season or something like that. And just the more time you spend out there and the more time you hunt now, when it's the hardest, it's probably going to be, the more you learn that you got a shot anytime. Like if you can go out there on public land in some of these States that get really piss pounded and you can go find a concentration of deer. And even if it's you're hunting for a scrapper or a doe or whatever, and you can get on those deer right now, you can't tell me that you're not going to have an easier time next September or October. You know what I mean? Like it all feeds into itself. But if you decide that it's like not worth it and don't go, then it's like, it works the other way too.
3: Yeah. And, and, and you made a really good point there that, uh, and I was talking to Andy May about this was like you know, it's very rare that you find an area that's good all year. Like even, even just like a general area. Like I have places that have better food that I know there's going to be oak trees. If there's acorns, it's a better early season spot where I have spots that are, have no oak trees at all and no mass crop that are better during the rut. Cause it's more consistent as far as where the deer are hanging out and doing that. And then late season's a whole nother game. That might be, that's more of me being mobile and seeing what the cuts are doing you know that that changes every couple of years on finding good late season spots yep. and it's like it's it's just trying not getting so in tune with uh you know this is my spot and this is where i need to be and if you can kind of open your mind up to it i, I think you can can find success in the late season. Again, it doesn't matter if you're hunting an old deer, if you're hunting any buck that comes by or any doe, you know, that's, I, I think it's, it's just a, a different mindset.
2: Yeah. And you, and you got to think too, kind of, you know, on being mobile and being open to where they're going to be right now is you might, you might have to think about this, like, where are they going to be? you know, kind of like skate to where the puck's going to be type of strategy, you know, that, that goes for all year. And we sort of take it for granted that we're like, oh, if it's late season, they're going to be really patternable and they're going to be on this food source and they're going to bed here. And it's, yeah, it's BS, (laughs) especially if you're, if you're hunting public land and it's, you know, if you're on a browse pattern or something that some kind of food source, that's going to get cleaned up, whether it's today or next week, and it's not, you know, not to draw anymore, that stuff's going to change out there. And, like, I I think it's really hard to get tuned into that stuff. Like I I had this happen to me uh, right at the end of the Minnesota muzzleloader season. I had hunted I'd hunted Wisconsin. I had hunted southern Minnesota a little bit. Got my ass kicked. I came home and I I have permission to doe hunt this farm by my house here in the cities. And I go out there and it, we have a long season here. It Started November fifth and went till like November twenty eighth for the general gun season. Then we have sixteen days of you know whatever. So it's it's a long season. They get piss pounded. And this farm, they hunt them so hard. Every day there are people out there. And so when I talk to the landowner, he's like, yeah, you know, they're they're pushed out pretty good. But, you know, whatever, go ahead. So I go out there and kind of just to observe first, see what's what's going on. Because there's a pick bean field on there. And I'm like, I'm, I'm hunting for a deer. Like, I, I want a doe to walk by, right? And... I can see a group of like fifteen of them across the road, which they might as well be on Mars. There, I can't hunt over there; it's nobody's yeah. hunting over there, whatever. And I'm like, well, there's all my deer, but I ended up having sit in this spot to just kind of observe and cover this cattail slough and some other some of the other better cover on there that I know doesn't get hunted. And the only deer I see that night, it's like a 130 inch eight pointer, gets up out of his bed out in these cattails and walks right by me, 80 yards. I can't shoot him because the landowner won't let me. <laughs> and so I have to <laughs> let a, a late season 130 incher go. And oh. it's, yeah, <laughs> I was like, I saw it coming and I texted him. I was like, Hey, <laughs> hey bro, <laughs> hey, I got buddy. a really good one. And he's like, Nope. I'm like, all right, you know, it's his land, whatever. Whatever. So then the only deer I see, and I'm like, man, you know, this is like a place on paper should have everything. It's got food. It's got cover. It's got suburbs right next to it. So there's some sanctuary, but the pressure on there is enough where those deer are mostly gone. But that buck who's been hunted pretty freaking hard, just, he's got his little thing figured out there in that little security cover. And so I went out the next night and the landowner told me, he's like, he's like, listen, if you want to shoot a little buck. Go ahead, <laughs> not that one. And I'm like, are you sure? Because if I have a little buck come on, I'm gonna freaking lace him. He goes, whatever. <laughs> I go back out, get into a different stand to get back into the cover a little more. And I'm just like, you know, we have fresh snow. There's no tracks. I'm watching turkeys. I'm like, I, I, and I, as soon as I get into my stand, I can see 15 deer, including bucks, across the road. All the deer that I'm hunting, and it's just like one of those deals where I'm like, I know they're gonna come back. Like, they'll work their way back here, but those deer are effectively just, it's like you picked them up and you put them in a place you can't freaking touch them anymore. And it's so wild to see that on private land. And then you go into public land and you think, okay, well, the rifle season just came through here. Like, yeah, it's going to affect things, but they're going to like normalize again. You know, like they're going to, its it's going to happen. It's just like, you got to be in tune enough to know, like, is this... Are they coming back together here now that most people have left them alone? If they have, you're going to have badass hunting. If not, you got to
3: keep looking. Yeah, and and I, I want to go back to something that you said with the pattern, the patternability of them. So that's, <laughs> should that's, we air quote know,
2: that I, the yeah, patterns?
3: <laughs> yeah, the patterns that you're going to find air quotes and like. So I'll, I've gotten messages from people that are like newer to hunting big woods and be like, Hey, how many days in a row does this buck need to show up on camera before you think I should hunt him? I'm like, one, <laughs> I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't ever have, I don't ever have a buck that shows up multiple days in a row. That just doesn't happen. And it's like a lot of that comes down to your intuition on, you know, and finding that sign. And and that's where I think people can use trail cameras to a detriment of themselves and I use a lot of trail cameras, but I don't, for the most part, I don't even use it for that season other than knowing that a buck's there. Like that doesn't, that's, that's past Intel. It don't matter. It, the The big woods is a little bit different and there's a lot of other scenarios that are probably similar to this, but this is kind of what I'm familiar with. And you got to You got to use kind of your gut instinct when you see that sign of like hunting it. And just because you don't see anything, one day it doesn't mean that, you know, if you were good and you didn't blow anything out, you can go back in there that next day and hunt it again. And it might take a few sits before you see anything. And that's just the nature of it. And, and, uh, I, I just, but I will say that I do, I don't, I don't sit the same spot like I do during the rut for four days in a row or anything. A lot of times, especially if it starts getting again, I keep referring to, you know, bad weather, but they will kind of hurt up a little bit. So, it's trying to find where the concentration of deer are and then, and then putting yourself in the game. But I, I just, I think trail cameras um, can can uh, be a detriment when you're looking at big woods hunting. Like you're just not, you're not going to find that pattern.
2: Well, I, I, I think in general, there's, there's a high potential for misuse there and in a way to hurt yourself. But I think the late season too you can, you can get yourself into trouble thinking that you're going to get pictures of them over and over and over again, and it's just not going to break that way.
1: Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver, The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto, do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater.
0: We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple, when you pour it into your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff, like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it do its job. Now you probably know someone who's used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more.
2: I want to ask you another thing. So like when I, when I told you that that landowner greenlit me on shooting a scrapper or a dough, it was so freaking fun because I knew, I'm like, I actually, I knew there was a little buck living in this one spot. I'm like, if that sucker walks out, I'm going to shoot him. And he did. He was the only deer that came out. I killed him and I was so freaking happy. <laughs> uh, a little three pointer was awesome. Uh, but what, what I love about that and what I love about the late season, especially on public land or, you know, this flintlock hunt you're doing is you get to go hunt deer. It's not like I'm waiting for that great big buck to show up on camera on that scrape or whatever or it's prime time and I want to just tiptoe around the woods and not not make the wrong move. You just get to carry that flintlock out there and now you're hunting deer. Like you're just like you see some does coming through the woods. That's that's awesome. And I think I think we we're kind of forgetting about that in hunting. Like the trophy the the push for trophies is like so heavy now that people are kind of skipping a lot of steps to get good at hunting and forgetting like yeah okay if you have the right scenario and you've worked your way into it and you and that's what what blows the wind up your skirt great 160s are bust but there's a lot of situations where you're just setting yourself up for a horrible season or a horrible hunt if your standards are just so out of whack with your situation and it's so nice you know when you're down to this fourth quarter last couple of minutes of the fourth quarter and you're like I'm going out on public land now for something it's fun to just go hunt deer
3: it, no, you're you're so right, and I, I I think about this all the time, and and so I I had I had uh, I'd started kind of filming some of my hunts uh, recently, and I'd put out a couple of videos uh, this year for me self filming some hunts, and I went from shooting a a pretty well one of my best bucks in Pennsylvania to the next video of me shooting this little seven pointer in New York that was like you know year and a half two year old maybe, uh, and it's like how how do you have these different standards? It's like I don't like, I'll have like really high standards in places if I, if that's what I feel like I want to do, but I also want to have fun. And like, and I do have fun, like in West Virginia this year, I put very high standards on, on myself. And I let some gr- really nice bucks go that, that, um, that I would have been happy with anywhere else. But I was like, I just wanted to, to shoot something really big there. But that doesn't mean that, you know, when it comes to <clears throat> Pennsylvania, also been targeting older deer, especially in the last five, six years. But when it comes to late season, if I want to go out and have fun and shoot a scrap buck, I'll do that. And that's like I, I I I'm and I don't fault anybody that has the different mentality of like it's this or bust throughout the whole thing. That's just not where I'm at. And that doesn't seem fun to me if I'm like, oh I'm setting 160 inch standard across the board. And then I, I, I also like shooting deer and I, I have fun doing that. And, and I have just as much fun shooting smaller bucks as I do older ones. And it's, it's, uh, you're, you're right. You can get caught up and especially, um, when you're, uh, especially when you're newer to it, like it's one thing to, you know, say someone like yourself that's hunted for a while and you're like, I want to challenge myself and I'm trying to hunt some big deer. And that's like, that's a new challenge. For you, but when you're new to it, like there's nothing like repetition and 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 getting yourself in that scenario of going back to full draw or pulling a gun up on something and seeing how your emotions react to any deer, like that's I, I and that's so, you know the way I've looked at elk hunting for since I've started with it. Um, you know I've been doing it now for five years, but it's not, or maybe even six years, but it's not. I still feel brand new to it. Like that's to me, I'm just trying to kill, you know elk and that's that's the way that it that it comes down to it and i think it i think you can get caught up in seeing what so and so is doing or this or that and try to make that your goal and it can be frustrating
2: yeah well and you know i mean that that's another good point like the elk thing i mean whatever do it people can do whatever they want set their standards wherever I just see a lot of people set pretty high standards for elk hunting that when they don't know what they're doing and end up not going back, end up taking one trip. And I, I just look at this and I'm like, you know, what you said about it's just fun to shoot deer. Dude, I'm to the point now where I'm like, I I look at these situations, My my favorite things about deer hunting, a couple of them are. I like looking into, I have two freezers now. I had to buy an extra one for my elk this year. And I like looking in those freezers and seeing shit tons of meat. Like I'm not going to freaking run out for the year. I love it. But I realized I'm like, I just like shooting deer. Like I like when you, when you have that situation where it's like, whatever deer it is that you see it. And you're like, I'm going to try to kill that one. And it starts getting into your red zone. That's the best like there's there's nothing better like you and you don't get that very often and I noticed that like it kind of really hit home for me with my daughters taking them this year uh because when I took my my I took one daughter out she killed spike right away and that was done it was a quick little encounter but my other daughter we went out and she shot a doe in the morning and she had another doe tag and I was like let's go sit we got a doe and a buck tag and we had these does really cagey like they were like, uh, I don't think, I don't think we're going through there. And you could see them. And I remember just like the whole time, because I'm like, I can't whisper to her or anything. I'm like, we're just, she's got to read this situation, and we have to stay no noise, no movement, and just hope they settle down and come in. And it was like a a long encounter with them close before this one doe finally broke and came in. And I just remember thinking, like, that was so freaking fun. Like, it just yeah. just that, like it, like, anticipation of, like, is the shot going to happen? Is this going to blow up? And I just can't, like, this is just me personally. I don't want to go into a season where if I know I'm targeting really big deer, which can be super fun in some situations, I'm just not going to feel that like I might go my entire season and maybe only feel that once or twice and it might not break my way. Or I can get into these situations where you're talking like you go hunt late season does on public land. Like you're going to, your heart rate's going to spike at some point during that. Hunt.
3: Oh, I'm looking forward to that as much as any hunt this year. And it was, it was funny. And I got to see it again where, um, when I, I kept referencing this, this recent gun hunt that I did with some buddies. So, lee ellis he uh, from seek one he's killed 370 inch plus deer in other states this year he came to pennsylvania with me and he told me he's like i want to have fun like i want to learn your style hunting and he's like what should i be looking at i said any legal buck i was like you yeah, got three days like and he ended up shooting a nice three-year-old and but i was and he was like he goes bo i, I was exci- as excited as shooting any of those big deer and had just as much fun of doing that. Um, even though this doesn't, you know, compare as far as inches on the, on the wall. And I thought that was really cool to, to see that and be a part of it. And I wasn't even the one pulling the trigger and I was just ecstatic. Like, and then my buddy shot another buck later, a younger deer. And just like we had them hanging at the, the pole camp. We cooked tenderloins at night because we'd done a podcast and then afterwards cooked up a bunch of tenderloins. And it was just like, this is fun like that's that's a really cool uh experience and that's why i'm looking forward to this late season of just getting out there and hunting deer and just and to be honest i mean trying to shoot a doe when you're trying to shoot doe is not easy sometimes it's (laughs) it can be just as hard if not harder when you don't want to shoot a doe they're uh they're everywhere but that's the (laughs) well
2: i mean that's that's a really good point there that nobody ever talks about is like we we take does so for granted right? Like, Oh, I could kill those anytime I want. Cause you're condensing an entire season of not trying to kill them into your head. And you're going, I was all over them. You know, it's kind of like the dude that's like, Oh yeah, I could have shot the one thirty, but he looked kind of young. And it's like, yeah. And he was 54 yards away in the brush and you never had a shot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when you actually get out there and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to kill one. I'm not just going to sit here and watch him and not pick up my bow or not pick up my gun. Totally different. I, You know, that farm that I killed that little buck on here with a muzzleloader last year, I did a bunch of late season bow hunting on there for a doe. And I never killed one. And I mean, I would see those does coming in and I had a lot of encounters. And I would be like, oh my God, I'm going to get busted drawn again because they're going to hear it, you know, like dead calm. And every freaking time I had a chance, something went wrong. And I was like, if you think you're really, really good Like there's some situations where you'll go out and you'll try to kill a late season doe in a place where a lot of people hunt and you go like, this is not, this is not easy. This is not what we make it out to seem. It's freaking tough.
3: Yeah, I know. And I'm, I'm concerned about that part. Like I, I when, I don't know if it was, it was last year. Yeah. Last year I tried and I, I I failed. Like I didn't, I didn't do uh, any good when I was targeting a, a doe specifically. And it was just like, And I had like a decent amount of time to put towards it. And I was like, how is this the case? Like it, it, it's not, it's not as easy as you put it out to. And I, I had a guy message me about that too. It's like, I'd love to hear like some talks on just shoot hunting does. And I'm like thinking about, I'm like, yeah, I, I I don't really think about that that much. And, and, you know, in my own head, other than when all of a sudden I have tags filled, then I go out and try to do it. And it's a struggle. It's not just because it's a doe doesn't mean it's easy. Yep, you know some of those, some especially you can start getting some of those old does. whole well, they're they're smarter than those bucks are,
2: dude. I I actually just wrote about this. Like I I honestly think that we give bucks too much credit and does not enough credit because you know people talk about how big bucks are a different species and all this stuff and we we've, we've always had a vested interest in making them seem like mythical, right? Like it does. Guys like you and I, it serves us well if people think that bucks have a sixth sense and they're impossible to kill and all this yeah. bullshit, right? But when you think about their life, you know, most of the time, those big bucks, the reason that they're so hard to kill is they're pretty freaking rare, right? Compared to a lot of the other deer, like there just aren't that many of them. And yeah, like, listen, they're good at surviving. Don't get me wrong. Like I fully believe that. But when you start dealing with a lot of does, that get a lot of pressure. They're just as good at surviving. Like they're just as good at figuring out where the pressure is and reacting to it. And I I mean, I think that I have more does pick me off or, you know, blow up a setup than bucks do. Like bucks seem like when you get them to move, they're pretty confident and sometimes not as cagey as those does. And a lot of times those pressure does, especially that are a couple years old, man, they will get you every time.
3: Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're spot on and, and trying to, so another thing about late season, I think would be a good thing to hit on is when you're hunting in that cold and say, it's still, it's a lot tougher to, after you've been sitting in a while to draw your bow, if you're bow hunting, to even get your bow back. And then everything starts making creaking noises and, you know, whether it's your stand or your saddle platform or whatever you're using, like there's a lot of things that can go wrong and it seems so much more still and it's harder And there's not as much cover so even when your trees stick out a little bit more it's tougher to to make that happen and you know I was up in Alberta recently and when I was hunting up there it was negative 24 the coldest is is really freaking cold try drawing your bow back if you have it at 70 pounds no matter how strong you think you are when you've been sitting there not moving for hours on end and then try to to do that it takes a different level I'm actually in the process of setting up a specific bow hunting cold weather, that's an inch shorter draw length and set at 60 pounds to the 70. And so it's just easier to be able to do. And when you start having layers on, um, you know, practicing with all that stuff on, cause it's different and it's, everything's different. You know, when I, and when I shoot, I shoot a, a thumb release uh, for most of the season, but when it comes to late season, I use a trigger str- style again, because I can't have that close to my face. Because I have the the potential to hit the trigger and I've done that in practice by hitting my collar or doing you know something and those are all things that uh, I I think get overlooked as when it comes to late season But are the things that you should you know practice and make sure you're you're competent in um, And it's 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 hard. Yeah when you when you hunt cold late season like calm
2: conditions you, you get reminded of all the holes in your game pretty quick when you've got to go – like when you've got to draw and just like a hood scraping the tree or your, your elbow or something just a little bit or a little tiny creak in your cams or anything like that, it's a, it's a different deal. And it, you know, it's one of those situations where if you do get caught drawing, like they're not going to stick around. Like if, no. if they pick you off, there you know you're not gonna get like that stomp and walk around and position themselves a little better. It's like nah, <laughs> those days that was t- two months ago. This is a different yeah. world now.
3: Yeah, you're the you're the 19th guy that they've saw since that time two months ago. They're not they're not sticking around and looking nope. at they're 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 bolting at at that at that point. So it's yeah that's a, that's a it's a good point. It's just uh it's it's a, a different time of year and you got to kind of look at it that way and that's why it's that's why it's fun too like i i, I look at you know these different s- situations and it took trying to change in my mindset like even when like this year with the rut i think mostly across the country people dealt with warm weather at the beginning of november and I, I, I feel like everyone gets really down about it and, you know, including myself, I don't, I'd rather have cold weather. Everybody would, but it's like, okay, look at this as a different thing. Like what can I do differently to, to to be able to kill something in this, this scenario, especially if you're on like public ground and, and, you know, and and you have limited time to hunt, like you have a a specific time. You can't pick, you can't be like, Oh, I'm not going to hunt these days because they're not perfect. You know, change up your strategy a little bit, you know, your high wind days, maybe you want to just still hunt. You want to be on the ground and, and do that. And I think late season offers a little bit of that, that challenge and those differences. And I think no matter what time of year it is using those different scenarios that you're kind of dealt with and looking at it as a game and trying to, to, to figure it out. But, and I learned a lot of that and, even recently I was reminded of it, I guess is what, what I should say. Zach Farrenbaugh, uh, he, he was talking to me about it and he's just like, man, I just, whatever conditions are thrown at me, just figure it out, try something new. you know." And, and I think you can learn so much of that, even if it doesn't work out for you.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, and the reality is it mostly won't, but that's okay. Yeah. Cause it mostly yeah. doesn't anyway. I mean, I, I look at this and I go, because I'm like that. Like, I just I just want to hunt. If it's hot, cold, whatever. If I have a chance to go, I'm going to go. And, you know, you see people make excuses to not go in those conditions a lot. And I get it. But then you look at, like, the success rate when the conditions are perfect. And still most people are not killing deer. And so it's like, well, why not go try when it should maybe theoretically shouldn't be the best? Because when you think, you know, especially talking about coming from public land, I love really shitty conditions for deer hunting when I'm hunting public land because people are going to just not go. You know, yeah. like if you're, if you're there in September and it's 90 degrees, people aren't going to hunt. You know, if you're there during the rut, some people will be there, but if it's 75 degrees in the day, you'll have less pressure than you would if it was 25 degrees. You, know, like you, have, that, you have that to work with, and you go out there and realize that like, this stuff can still happen. It can happen early season, late season. It can happen right now on public land. It's still worth going.
3: Yeah. And like in gun season, that's actually my favorite when you get like a lot of rain. Yeah. It doesn't make favorable conditions as far as hunting and it kind of sucks sometimes, but that's going to keep people out of the woods. It's, it's, and even if at first light you have a lot of people out, they're going to be wet, cold by 9am. They're going back. They're gonna have lunch, and then they sit back at camp or whatever. Like, yeah, you know, maybe I'll just go out tomorrow. I'm not. I'm not gonna go out for the evening or whatever. It's like, man, that's fine. Keep doing that. That's yep. that's great. Like, yeah. take advantage. Why don't, why of those don't you conditions. guys
2: stay in and watch the Packers game?
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, maybe not this year, but uh, Bo, we gotta wrap this sucker up. Uh, where can everybody find you out there? You're doing all kinds of stuff.
3: Yeah, I say the I say the main uh, thing that kind of links to everything is my website eastmeetswesthunt.com. At the East Meets West Hunt podcast, anywhere podcasts are found. Uh, my YouTube channel is just under my name, Bo Martonic. If you search either of those things on social media, you'll find me there. Kind of stay active in all the all those places. So a bunch of scouting videos and stuff on YouTube, video podcasts, and then uh, but the podcast is probably my main main gig. So a lot of big woods whitetail stuff playing in Western hunts, those types of things.
2: A lot of good info there. Uh, it's always a blast talking to you, man. Thanks so much for coming on.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me on, Tony. I appreciate it.
2: That's it for this week, folks. Be sure to tune in next week for more whitetail goodness. This has been the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your guest host, Tony Peterson. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you're looking for more whitetail content, be sure to check out the slash wired to see a pile of new articles each week by Mark, myself, and a whole slew of whitetail addicts or head on over to The Wire to Hunt YouTube channel to view our weekly content that we put up.
0: Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam